Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. This Ben Jarofsky Show Benny J bonus interview is brought to you in part by the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and the Chicago Federation of Labor. Benny J, take it away. As I speak, it's Thursday, December 12th, 2019. But of course, the podcast, you can be listening to it absolutely anytime. It could be year 2092 when you're listening to this uh, show, and it'll be just as interesting then as it is today. As we do with all bonus shows on the Ben Jarofsky Show, I start by asking my distinguished guests to introduce themselves. And so we're going to uh, start with distinguished guest number one. Introduce yourself. Hello, bonus episode, Ben Jarofsky Show. Uh, this is Joanna Klonsky, distinguished guest and uh, communications consultant, and uh, really happy to be here. Very good, and distinguished guest number two? I am Elena Hampton, and I am a political consultant in Chicago. Very good, thank you for both uh, show, uh, coming down to the show. Joanna Klonsky is a regular, or was a regular. We had like a, a brief pause. Joanna and I may have been on the other opposite sides of the teacher strike, but that's over. That's past, Joanna. We're all on the same side, Ben. Yes, we're all, we're all on the same side this now. This is about Chicago, what's best for our city. That's and correct. Okay, Mara Muller. Look at Dennis with the sound <laughs> yeah, No, he agrees with you. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, Joanna is a regular on my show, has been ever since I've been on the radio talking uh, about the creep reports, uh, men behaving badly in positions of power, be it in uh, politics, unions, Hollywood, uh, Etc. and so forth. And she's also a political consultant, so I'm probably going to drag uh, uh, a few of her thoughts out of her on impeachment and Hillary and Bernie and all those good things. And Elena Hampton has been on my show in the past. Uh, she, of course, is a newsmaker in her own right because she had the guts. This is my words, Elena. I'm allowed to say my words. She had the guts uh, to take on Michael Madigan and uh, his political machine. Uh, when uh, when she was sexually harassed by another political operative, and uh, you well, why don't I let you tell your story, Elena? Uh, Elena is was the subject. I got to say this, uh, Joanna. <clears throat> Elena is one of the few people. Uh, that the Chicago Tribune editorial board and I agree on. Okay, so <laughs> usually I'm bashing the Chicago Tribune editorial board. Uh, I cannot believe the stupid things they write, but I must give them a shout out. That was a nice editorial they wrote about Elena Hampton. So anyway, Elena, tell your story. Uh, what what happened and what uh, led to your lawsuit, etc. So I worked for the Democratic Party of Illinois for about five years. I worked uh, on and off out of the 13th Ward office, and my supervisor, who is the brother of Alderman Marty Quinn, uh, his name is Kevin Quinn, he was harassing me for five months. I reported it after five months, and um, I ended up quitting. And then I reported it to Michael Madigan himself about six months after that. And um, that's when his attorney got involved, and um, I you know, tried to handle it privately for a few months and then ultimately decided I needed to hire attorneys for myself. And that led to me telling my story publicly last February 2018 and then filing a federal lawsuit uh, March 2018. Mm -hmm. You were telling me uh, before we went in there that you're basically uh, a shy person, a reserved person. Has this been a particularly difficult thing for you to talk about publicly, to even come like on this show and speak in front of a microphone? Is it difficult for you? Um, I certainly don't enjoy being the center of attention, but it's something that I know inside and out. And I also know that it has been really helpful for other people. So it, it has been worth it for me to talk about it. And, um, I mean, it's, it's always traumatic to have it in my face all the time, but, um, as long as it's helping other people find support and not feel so isolated, I'm, I'm happy to do it. 
And uh, so what was the end result? You filed a lawsuit against Madigan. Who else was in on that? I filed the lawsuit against four political committees. It was the 13th Ward Democratic Organization, the Democratic Majority, the Democratic Party of Illinois, and Friends of Michael J. Madigan. And the reason it was between all of those committees is because they kind of move money between all of those committees, and um, we just had to make sure it was super tight. So they couldn't claim that, you know, I was working for this one or that one. And hmm. yeah. Uh, and did it come to trial or did you guys? What no, was the... we came to a resolution. It's been about two weeks. Has it been two weeks? Yeah, yeah about that. Yeah, it's been about two weeks, The the around Thanksgiving. And, um, you know, it, it was almost a two year long lawsuit that was the center of my life for a very long time. And I'm grateful that it came to a resolution because I'm very ready to move forward with my life and put it behind me. Two years. Has it been two years, Joanna? Good God. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you filed suit in March 2018, yeah. shortly after the Democratic primary of that cycle. And my story became public in February of 2018. So it's been oh almost my God. two years. It's been quite a while. Wow. And it's then the going. harassment started in November of 2018. 16. So it's actually this process been three years and three months for me. And, and the harassment was in the form of emails, correct? Text, text like messages. Emails. Was it? Was there any verbal harassment, phone calls, that kind of thing? Uh, he did call me a few times. I did not answer the phone calls, and I became so afraid uh, to be around him that I just stopped coming to the mm -hmm. to the office. And uh, uh, you asked him not to do it. Yes, multiple times. I, you know, told him I'm not interested. Mm -hmm. And I was communicating with someone was helping coach me on how to respond to him because obviously saying I wasn't interested wasn't enough. So I got used stronger language. Like I told him to stop. I'm not interested. I want to focus on my work. And even with the strong language saying, you know, stop, it, it still wasn't enough. He mm -hmm. would still persistently um, ask me out. No, Joanna, why don't you back up a little bit and just talk about uh, th this kind of harassment in general. It seems as though uh, what Elena was going through uh, strongly suggests that uh, the, the person, in this case Quinn, felt that there would be no accountability whatsoever for his behavior. So he would persist with the harassment. Uh, she would text back, stop, and he would continue that strongly suggests uh, that uh, in this pre-Me Too world, men were free to do whatever they wanted. Yeah. They felt free to do whatever they wanted. Sure, I mean, it's hard to say what was going on inside of Kevin Quinn's head or what's going, what, how, why he thought this was okay at any point. Um, but certainly there was a, it seems clear that there was a culture around him that protected him and enabled him and other people to behave this way that's very clear, and I think that's clear across the board in what, in that moment, in that big wave of the Me Too moment of everyone coming forward, one area where it became really clear that we have a serious problem is in political campaign life and government, but particularly because this is the world, the seas we swim in, people like Elena and I, in the Democratic Party, in the party that's supposed to be the party of women, the party that fights for equality, the party that fights for the oppressed and the underrepresented, where we had this, and there's a, campaign, you know, cliche that you campaign how you govern. Your campaign is a representation of what your government's gonna look like. So if your campaign is a mess, your government's gonna be a mess. If your campaign is broke and doing a bad job managing its money, you're probably not gonna be a good fiscal manager of a, of a jurisdiction. Well, if your campaign is full of men behaving inappropriately, that's a bad sign about what government looks like. And what we've seen is that that has borne out in many in many cases. Is there something in particular about a political campaign that encourages this kind of behavior? I'll let you speak I, to that. I would say there's just not a lot of um, there's not a lot of avenues for people to report harassment to, to report any type of abuse to. You know, it's essentially like running a startup business very quickly. Like, just you know, it's a, sometimes a four month process and. Um, you know, there may not be a boss to go to to say, hey, I'm being harassed. And, um, you know, people often don't know what to do. And actually, since my story became public within 
um, the Democratic Party, they've actually put some of these steps in place so people have someone to report to. Because one of my issues is that I didn't have anyone to report to except my harasser's brother, which is actually why I waited so long to report, because I was afraid to tell his brother that um, I was being harassed. Just so people can follow us along, the harasser is named Kevin Quinn, and uh, the brother in question was a gentleman named Marty Quinn, uh, who is also the alderman of the 13th Ward in the city of Chicago, and was a chief political. I don't know if he still is. I haven't followed these things. This I had this moment of, of, of awakening. Elena knows that she's laughing at me already. Uh, where <laughs> I think Elena may have been with me when the light went on. And uh, I did not know that Marty Quinn... Oh, God, this is an embarrassing moment of confession here on the Ben Jarofsky show. Uh, I met Elena uh, just by happenstance, having nothing to do with this, years before this went down. And uh, that's where I learned that Marty Quinn was this big-time political operative running campaigns. I'm like, that guy from the 13th Ward never says anything, but just votes whichever way the mayor tells him to vote? That rubber stamp from the 13th Ward is a big-time political? And Elena was like, where have you been? Actually, she didn't say it that Get way. It together, Ben. <laughs> so anyway, I immediately wrote an article about it. That, I didn't know this. Uh, anyway, he's a big-time political operative. Uh, and he actually uh, spoke up on a tangent with a tangent. I don't know if you saw this. Uh, Joanna, you see everything. In the city council the other day, I was I noted that Marty Quinn voted against the police settlement case. Uh, she, he went against the mayor. I almost passed out when I read it. Marty, you're really standing up there uh, yeah. in, in the vote. Well, to Marty Quinn aside, big picture, I mean, I think Elena's point is, is really important, which is that these campaigns are sometimes like the Wild West. Like, there's no, and the, the culture is some kind, sometimes very like machista, there's a lot of like swag, swagger and like attitude, like who's the biggest hard ass. Like I've worked on dozens of political campaigns in my life. You're who can work the hardest, who's you try to prove that you're the most committed, you're working the longest hours, you're just drinking black coffee and smoking cigarettes and eating pizza, and it's like all such a thing. Part of that is that a lot of the professional standards that would come with any normal workplace don't exist. Mm-hmm. Um because you know that win, lose, or draw on election day, the next day you pack up the office and you're gone. Yeah. Um, and so I think one of the things that this has like really laid bare for me is the degree to which norms do have to be set in campaigns to, whether it's presidential campaigns or a state rep race, like the manager does have to set expectations and standards. There do need to be HR processes. And that's also on the candidate. The candidate's got to make sure, and the candidate needs to make it clear, this is what I expect from you. Because it's a political liability. It's bad for your race. Right. If uh, something breaks out, and, if and, a scandal breaks out. And candidates should be held accountable uh, for the behavior of the people that they or, hire. Yes, or at least for if somebody, you can't be accountable for everything, but if somebody b- behaves badly on your campaign, how you handle it, you certainly are accountable for mm-hmm. um, did, Were they fired? Were they reprimanded? Were they spoken to? Is there any paper on it? Did any? How were they informed? Or was it just like, hey, buddy, knock it off? Yeah. Or was it like, oh, you go sit in that room and let's move the girl over there? You know, there's all kinds of. <laughs> this is all real stuff that happens where they're like, oh, we solved it. We just gonna move Elena to that desk. Yeah, that's yeah. not a solution. And so I think that um, it, I've said this on your show a million times. I think, but the sooner that Democrats at writ large understand that. Doing this, making these kind of changes are, if you can't make them because you know they're the right thing to do from a moral standpoint, do it because it's good politics. Because yeah. these, this has been, this kind of stuff is bad for the Democratic Party. Well, we'll get to that because this is one of our favorite uh, discussions, Joanna. You and I have had this discussion many times how it's all, uh, it, it is an important issue on the Democratic side of the table. Yeah. It does not seem to be even an issue that's remotely addressed on the Republican uh, side of the table. And as Exhibit A, for that claim, I'll point to a certain gentleman who's the president of the United States and the leader of the Republican Party. How many accusations of rape God, against I don't Donald know John anymore. Trump? Fourteen or something. That yeah. was um, E. Jean Carroll. I mean, yeah, yeah. They're, and they're credible. I mean, these women, their stories are gut wrenching. And not to get Elaine in trouble with her new friends at the Chicago Tribune's uh, editorial board, guys. Anytime you want to weigh in on Donald John Trump's uh, rape charges, feel free. Yeah. It's not just a one-way street where you bash the Democrats 
and leave the Republicans alone. Do you share my sentiments on that, Joanna? I, I will say, as outrageous as this phone call to the Ukrainian government was that we're discussing in these impeachment hearings, I find the 14 or 15 rape charges actually much more troubling. <laughs> but maybe I'm alone yeah. in that. Well. No, you're not alone in that one. <laughs> like a serial rapist yeah. is the president of the United States, yeah. so let's deal with that. But that's not an impeachable offense, Joanna uh, Yeah, Klaus. apparently that's okay. So uh, I've thought about this. We've had this conversation many times, but, you know, it's it's uh, Monday morning quarterbacking. It's 20. I do believe. Now I'm starting to think. I've ha I told you this before. Should Bill Clinton been impeached? for his behavior. Man, okay, I've been listening, have you ever listened to Slow Burn? I think I asked you this last week, Ben. Slow Burn is a podcast that the second season of it goes back through the um, the Clinton impeachment step by step. And I was 13 during the Clinton impeachment. Like I don't even really remember it that well. Mm -hmm. And I have been actively like shrieking in my house as I listen to it like, oh my God, I can't believe that he did this yeah. stuff. It's horrifying. And and so I don't know. I mean, I I know this is like not the po this wasn't the popular democratic thing to say at the time, but like, yeah, I kind of do. Like he, you know, you can't perjure yourself. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I was. I mean, I was even younger during that time, and my family are Republicans, so I mean, they just hated the Clintons in general, but. But probably not because of that. No, you know I don't think mean? so. Because <laughs> are they still Republicans? Yeah, they are. They're still Republicans. They, you know, it's like they hated Clinton for doing it, but Donnie, oh, that's a whole other story. Uh, well, the, the, I don't think they're Donald Trump supporters. All right, that, that uh, could clear, clear your family. Clinton, the, the, I mean, the degree, the extensive lying and sneaking around and like phone sex and all this stuff that he was doing and then lying about it under oath and expecting everyone else to, you know, play along. I mean, I don't know, I'm not a constitutional law expert. I don't want that guy to be my president. Yeah, no. Period. Listen, this is a whole other subject, I which know. I know we're supposed to say focused, but I've been thinking a lot about this. I've been talking about this on the show. You know, like the things they impeach presidents over, and I'm, look, I'm all for the impeachment. We'll get into that later, Johnny. You know, I knew you and I have a little discussion about impeachment. But it's like, why didn't they impeach Bush for lying and manufacturing evidence that got us into a rocky war? How many thousands of people got killed in that war? Not just on Americans, but Iraqis. And it was all a lie. It was all. So how is that not an impeachable offense? Why is how is what Trump did worse than what George? W. Bush did. I struggle with this stuff. I know I'm ball for the impeachment. Don't get me wrong, but I, the bizarre things we in America impeach our president. I st I still think of all the things Clinton. <laughs> His behavior was really whacked out and weird. And we as a country should look in the mirror. In my humble opinion, that we thought this guy was worthy of being president of the United States. Let's just think about that for a moment. Let's talk about the culture of Springfield. Though, if I can go back to yeah. uh, the story, uh, what you were saying was really tr uh, true. Is that uh, at least, you know, Joanne, I've never worked uh, in a political campaign. Elena, I've, I've, I've just like read about them, talked to people about them, and seen movies about them. Uh, and, but there is that, that sense of like bravado of a campaign. It's like, yeah, man. Pirates. We're, we're pirates. We're up all night. We're breaking rules. And uh, stealing signs. Stealing signs like the Houston uh, Astros in the World Series. And so um, in Springfield, that's exacerbated by this notion that everybody has left their hometowns and they've come to this uh, out-of-town site, Springfield, where husbands are not near their wives, wives are not near their husbands, they're on the road for, I don't know, what's the session? It's January a, to May. January And then to May. there's a couple days in, Octo in October, November, right? Yeah. So it's like, hey, what happens in Springfield stays in Springfield. Is that attitude uh, still prevalent? In I, your I would say so. Yeah, I mean, I don't really mess around in Springfield that much, but it's that's my sense. Folks are staying in hotels, they're going out drinking every night. It is there is like this weird hedonistic vibe. I've had I have a couple friends who spend a lot of time in Springfield who kind of joke about how they actually like try to stay off the beaten path, like on the edge of town, or like they just don't really want to engage in the nightlife. They just go back to their room at night and like read a book alone in the darkness because they don't want to be accused of anything. <laughs> and I think that that's, I think people are being, becoming more aware of 
the liabilities involved in this lifestyle, um, particularly as you've seen a number of legislators in the last year kind of become disgraced, although some of them are making a comeback. Yep. Apparently, Iris Silverstein is now running for judge. Running for judge. So that's interesting. Yeah, he was a former state senator. Right, sorry, former state senator accused of sexual harassment. Ends up, did he lose his race? Is that what happened? Yeah, he, he lost, lost his, his race, race. to um, now Senator Ron Villavallum. Did yeah. I get that right? Yes. Yes. It's all kind of a blur the last <laughs> couple of years. Who's been a guest on this very show, sitting where Elaine is sitting right now. Yeah, so uh, you've got, you know, I think you'll see some of these folks trying to rehabilitate themselves and come back. And if they do the work to rehabilitate themselves, I'm not necessarily saying they never should. I, in, in that case, I don't Ira know what he's done. should not be a judge. I mean, he was found guilty of behavior that was unbecoming of a legislator. So what makes him think that he's qualified to be a judge? Mm-hmm. I mean, as someone who's just gone through a lawsuit, I have so much respect for judges and um, them being fair and very qualified people. So um, it's a little alarming that he's running for judge right now. Well, now, in addition to your lawsuit, uh, there was a couple of other high profile cases um, coming out of Springfield, accusations of sexual harassment. And uh, so I think there were three. Am I, uh, do I have it right, Joanne? I'm doing this off the top of my head. Uh, Elena being one, there were two others, I want to say. Well, and- certainly there was Sherry Garrett, who's the woman who came forward about Tim Mapes, the executive director of the Democratic Party of Illinois. Um, and he was also the chief of staff for Speaker Madigan. Mm-hmm. He, uh, Sherry Garrett was a woman who, uh, I think we've talked about it on your show before, but she came forward in June 2018 mm-hmm. and told, like, some really horrifying details of the abuse that she endured working for him and that other people endured. Um, the press conference she had was at 10 or 11 in the morning. By 3.30, they announced that he was he was gone. He'd been 86. And so, um, you know, I think that we did see some of these guys get removed from the workspace. Uh, but the damage done takes, the harm done takes a long time to really repair. Firing someone sometimes isn't, doesn't nail it. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's one of the conversations that now this Me Too like sort of groundswell is dying back down. Although there's a lot of things are still happening every day. It's not like the top of mind, this impeachment thing is going on and there's other big stories happening that have captured the national imagination. But I think I wanna make sure that we're still thinking about, okay, what's the next step of this? It's it's not enough to okay, that guy's fired, problem solved you know, sexual harassment is no longer a problem in our workplace. Mm-hmm. Um, what what are the root causes? How did the culture sort of mutate around that bad actor or the multiple bad actors? And how do we start to undo that? We need to keep having those conversations. And I worry that we're not having them enough. As a result of the, the lawsuit, are there now uh, like uh, seminars that the Democratic Party gives to legislators uh, telling what's appropriate behavior, what's inappropriate behavior. Do you guys know that? Yeah, I think there's like training that they all have to go through. Training. I don't think it's uh, a game changer, but I'm glad they're doing training. They have an HR department now. They have an HR department now, so that's who, nice. Who that's has an HR department? The House the House Democrats. I would assume the Republicans They didn't well. used to. So one of the things Sherry Garrett said when she came forward is like, same like Elena, she was like, who do I report this to? We don't have an HR shop. Like There's she, an education issue, I think. You know, people aren't educated on where they should go or what they should do. And I've talked about this a lot before, but, you know, like 30 people knew that Kevin Quinn was harassing me for months, including two elected officials. And no one knew what to do. And I'm not sure it's that they didn't want to help me. They just literally did not know where to go, what to do. And I think they also feared the situation because of who my harasser was and his extreme close ties to Speaker Madigan and Alderman Marty Quinn. Sure, but very often the speaker, or sorry, the, excuse me, very often the the bad actor is someone who has close ties to people in power. Mm-hmm. So this isn't unique yeah. to your situation. Yeah. It, was, it was true in Sherry Garrett's story too, and it's been true in a, you know, I work on a lot of these kind of cases where I help women like Elena as they're navigating how do I tell my story? How do I deal with the attacks that we know are mm-hmm. coming? Like they went, you know, they folks advanced lots of negative messages about Elena and dug up dirt on her and tried to discredit her. And that's very common. And so um, I just think like the fact that he was connected to powerful people and that therefore people weren't sure how to handle it 
is a very, I've seen that happen again and again in these cases. So there's some trend lines that we start to see emerge when you look at the, the, the cases on the whole over time. And I think there's more, more work to do, but I'm personally just, I'm really excited for Elena that she finally gets to settle this thing and move on and go on a trip. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Trip. Well, I travel abroad pretty often. Uh Uh, On Saturday, I'm leaving for Ethiopia and Sudan. And uh, when I come back at the new year, I start a new job with a national democratic consulting firm. It's called E Street Group. So you're staying in the business? Staying in the business, and better yet, I'm staying in Chicago. They asked me to start the Midwest region office, so I'll be working here remotely um, and building an office. Yeah, working on political campaigns? I'm Technically, my title is a 501c3 and c4 director, so working with nonprofits and cause campaigns and PACs, but they did ask me to work with political candidates as well. So I will be at least through the primary. I election. have a vague memory, and correct me if my memory is wrong, that you were at one point working for Marie Newman. Did, was that, am I, I did, right about yeah, that? Yeah, briefly. I remember you calling me up. Ben, can you get Marie Newman on your show? <laughs> uh, and uh, you talked a little bit, uh, Joanna, about the counterattack uh, against uh, people like Elena who come out and uh, tell their story. Elena, why don't you go in a little more detail? Like, What are some of the things you were subjected to? Um, one of my former colleagues, um, I'm going to say his name, Jack Hines, okay. he was calling um, my some male colleagues of mine trying to dig up dirt on me, trying to find out, you know, bars that I hang out at. I work at a bar, so he knew that, and he basically wanted to find people that would be willing to say that I act inappropriate around men or was finding a way to make me seem like a seductress, essentially, or if I had any inappropriate text messages with these men. Um, That was a very difficult phone call when I got that, and it was too friends of mine who called and told me about it and the fear I had inside of myself I mean I collapsed to the floor I think there's so much about this experience that I've gone through that people don't know or understand or realize because they just read it in the news and they sometimes don't remember how personal and how scary and frightening it was for me Um, other things um, just whisper campaigns you know other political consultants coming to me saying well we heard that or, you know, so-and-so is saying that you joked about blackmailing the speaker. And, you know, when people would approach me about those things, I would say, okay, well, can that legislator come and tell my attorney? And they would say, no, no, they don't want to get involved. I'm like, you know what, why would you even tell me about it if you're not willing or that legislator is not willing to actually contact my lawyer about it? Because, I mean, that just makes them complicit, right? They're not... They're just telling me, and that doesn't do anything except, A, hurt my feelings and scare me. And I just don't understand the point. And it's been really disappointing to see how the legislators in Illinois have acted through all of this. Talk about that a little more. Um, I think Kelly Cassidy is really the only one who has gone to bat for me. Casey. Um, (laughs) You know, I'm a big fan of hers, and we're friends. Um, But, you know, specifically... The Democratic Women's Caucus, which I'm very outspoken about, um, they've been extremely disappointing. When I called to meet with them last year, shortly after my story broke, um, I explicitly told them I don't want any former Madigan staffers or current staffers in the meeting. And when I arrived to Springfield, two of my former colleagues were sitting in the room. And I thought that was so... It was really insensitive. You know, I obviously was suing these, you know, their boss or their former boss. And we all know how that organization works. It's based on loyalty. Once you leave, that doesn't mean that you're just not part of the organization anymore. Those people were in that room for a reason. And, um, you know, I, I think a lot of those legislators should look at themselves in the mirror. I mean, this is going to be on their conscience for the rest of their lives. Like how they've handled this situation um, has been really disappointing. And, you know, I'm used to it, but people look to me for strength and they look at my situation to see if maybe they're willing to go report something. And 
with the way the legislators in Illinois have handled my situation, isn't giving anyone any hope or courage to, to come forward to protect themselves. When you said those workers were in that room for a reason, was it to intimidate you? I mean, that's personally what I would yes. think. Mm-hmm. Why else would they be sitting in the room? But also to report back, right? I mean, probably texting probably a combo. At, the, yeah. <laughs> at that moment. Yeah. Uh, did you ask them to leave? I pulled several legislators into the hallway and of course there was a lot of media in the hallway so to calm me down they said that they would ask any lobbyists to leave the room halfway through and then i could speak to the uh women's caucus alone after yeah. that one of the things that i've uh, just seen uh joanne i haven't even told you about this uh, I, I gobbled up this tv show it's called unbelievable have either of you heard or seen Unbelievable? I saw the I saw some of the buzz about it, but I haven't watched it. It is really a great TV show. I urge you to watch it. Everybody out there, it's on Netflix. And it tells the story of uh, a serial rapist and the investigators who track down. It's based on a ProPublica series. But the part that relates to your story, uh, Elena, is that there's a contrast between... Uh, a victim of rape who's treated roughly, that's a euphemism, I think, by the investigating police, and what happens to her, I don't want to give away the story, what happens to her, as opposed to victims of rape who are treated with care and respect by investigating officers who happen to be women. And the way in which the, the rough treatment of the investigators destroys this lady's life this young woman's life and i watched that and my attitude was do i was like never ever ever go into a room with interrogating police officers without a lawyer that was like the takeaway i had on that one if you're the victim you get what i'm saying and we've had i had a lawyer come on this show criminal defense lawyer what was her name d april um, you don't remember her. She came on and she goes. She has a, a card that says, uh, yeah. "Oh, the she made she made the game." Yeah, she made the game. April, oh, she was awesome. She was awesome, man. She was like, she had a card. It says, "Shut up and lawyer up," and that's like her. her that's pretty advice. much my attitude. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, when you went into that room, you, did you have anybody with you? Did you have a lawyer with you, I Joanna did. with you, or anybody? And now that I look back on it, I really wish my um, either Joanna or one of my attorneys would have been there. Yeah. Um, you know, that experience, all of that was like a whirlwind experience. Um, it's kind of a blur now, honestly, but um, I wish I had an attorney. You know, there's one other thing that you didn't mention in all this that, I, you know, we we don't talk about enough, which is that the I think it was your first court date right before court. They they put out to the media a 14 page opposition oh, yeah. research book about Elena. Yeah, Kevin Quinn released a 14-page document about me. It was incredible. I think it was labeled the truth. Yeah, I still have it. I could probably dig it up. It was incredible. This is the the kind of stuff that you would think people would be too ashamed to do overtly, that maybe they'd leak it or, like, surreptitiously drop it off by a, you know, a newspaper and not leave any fingerprints on it. This guy just emailed it out to the reporters. So when that happened... It became clear, okay, none of the like mores about this, everything's out the window. They're, they're, the gloves are off towards her, and, and we've just got to keep telling the truth because that's the only way we're going to get through it. Um, you know, they put information that they thought would be embarrassing to Elena, and we were like, you know what? That ain't embarrassing. You, you're not going to shame this, this person. And so, again and again this sort of stuff would happen over the course of this process that was i think revealing more broadly it's not just about elena's case it's about why the chilling effect what are, what's the real goal is the goal really to scare elena because she's already kind of proven that you're not going to scare her mm-hmm. or is it to stop more women from coming or more victims from coming forward is it to send a message to anybody else who's watching to make sure that they're like now see elena's opposition research book wasn't that bad it didn't really discredit her but what about you What's in your opposition research? By the way, did, did the reporter, I missed this, I can't remember this. Did the reporter, but did they report on it, on the opposition book? Yeah. In a way that was favorable to us. <laughs> because we did a good job handling it. Joanna I mean, Klonsky, it was like a manifesto. <laughs> it, re- it was like a manifesto. Yeah. It, really. did, it wasn't a good idea 
to try to discredit Elena, but it was a again, it was a good idea if you were not really talking to Elena, but you were trying to scare off everybody else. Yeah. I think it may have been effective. We'll never know who who saw that and decided, you know what, I can't come forward. Now, I know this happens all the time in Chicago yeah. politics, uh, where you get the off the records, this one's drunk, this one, this, that, and the other thing. Mm -hmm. You know, they people try to uh, diminish the validity of what somebody is saying by uh, trashing their character. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's like 101 of Chicago politics. It happens all, all the time. Uh, but uh, th that that's pretty bold that they were <laughs> a research opposition. Uh, that's bold, but I've seen worse. I have yeah. I have had other cases where, um, you know, I, I have a case in New Jersey where my client was raped on a political campaign, and where um, information about the DNA taken from her underwear was leaked to try to make her look like a liar. I mean, that is extremely. Mm -hmm disgusting yeah. tactics she was telling the truth everyone knows she's telling the truth uh it didn't actually discredit her it just made them look bad but again it was a message to anybody else this right. guy in her case there's multiple other women who then came forward and said you know what he raped me too he sexually assaulted mm -hmm. me too and so there's always other messages and you've got to kind of read between the lines to catch those yeah i'm gonna uh i'm not gonna defend the the women legislators uh in that room but I'm going to try to explain and put them in the context, get your reaction, Elena and Joanna. And when I was listening to you tell that story about how some of the Democratic women in Springfield uh, uh, did not stand with you, I flash back to the Clinton days when all these stories were emerging about President Clinton, Bill Clinton, and what a pig he was. And the attitude of so many Democrats, and I stand accused and so many Democrats I know, was that F those Republicans, this is just their way of bringing down Clinton. It's a very Trumpian mm -hmm. view, by the way. And uh, we should not let them destroy our president and destroy our Democratic agenda uh, with these relatively frivolous uh, matters that are not worthy of public discourse anyway. It's between Hillary and her man. I've heard, how many times did I hear that one back in the 90s? And so I'll fast forward to 2017, 2018, whenever you came, went public with your case. There's, I'm sure there were a lot of Democrats who thought, well, this is just aiding and abetting the Republicans who are gonna bring down Michael Joseph Madigan as House Speaker and uh, abetting uh, Bruce Rauner as governor and uh, so we don't want to join with it. Uh, we just want to pretend that it's not happening uh, or look the other way. Uh, do you think my analysis is spot on or do you disagree? Yeah, you know, there were actually rumors that I was being paid by Blair Hole. Do you remember who Blair Hole is? Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I may right. be the only one in this room who, who even knows who Blair Hole is. Yeah, he's uh, he that ran, was a rumor. Yeah, I forgot about that. that. Right? Yeah, yeah, I had no idea who he was. I grew up downstate, so sometimes I don't know everything about politics here. But um, I, you know, I heard this rumor about myself, and like there was no way that I could just be doing this because it's the right thing. Someone had to be pulling the puppet strings, and um, I'm not a puppet. Okay, I'm you know. I, I just am very passionate about protecting people from sexual misconduct, and I, um, you know, I knew I was being wronged, and there's no one that could have come in and said, "Hey, I'll pay you X amount of money to do this." That's not the type of person I am. But also, it, it's been terrible for you. Like, why would you want to go through this if you didn't have to? Right, right. I, I could not. How imagine. much could they possibly pay you to it's, make it worth it? The whole thing where people are like, oh, she does stuff for money or she's doing it for fame. I could not imagine anyone doing going through this for money or fame. First of all, why would you want to be famous for being part of a sexual harassment lawsuit? I mean, that's like the worst type of fame you could ever have. Um, you know, well, I don't know about that. But yeah, it's, it's not, pretty bad. Yeah. It's, it's not great. It's not, yeah, it's it's not, not great. what you want to your career to. It's not what you want to be known for. She's yes, long. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so, you know, and, you know, the lawsuit settled and people have asked me about the money. And when I say, 
and this is also me as a person, money is not going to give me those years of my life back. I, I value time over money. And, you know, those three years of my life were completely consumed with sexual harassment and lawsuits, battling people that I um, used to really deeply care about. Yeah. No, it's funny you should mention the money thing, because every story I read about you in the settlement uh, talked about how the fact your lawyers made more money than you did. Every single story. Oh, lawyer me uh, this amount, and the lady got this amount. It was almost like the reporter would go, if I were running the show, I'd have got more money. Uh, and your, your reaction has always been the same. Uh, every quote I've read, anyway, what, that wasn't about the money, and your lawyer did a good job, so. Yeah, I mean, my, my lawyers, they were my backbone, along with Joanna. I mean, they were working for two years on my case uh, unpaid. Um, Time's Up did help pay for some legal fees, I think around 70 grand, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that settlement had to pay them, pay them back those fees. Oh, so they, I didn't spell that out. That was funny. <laughs> yeah, they fronted they fronted some of the funding, yeah. okay. and then which was which was a blessing. We needed that to yeah. to move forward. I I want to really lift up Elena's attorneys too because correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't you go to a whole bunch of law firms who turned you away? So first? many law firms that said, you know, I had a have a city contract or I have a state contract or I'm not willing to get involved. And you have to remember, I had a lot of evidence. I mean, I had proof that I was being sexually harassed and still people were just galore. like, no. Yeah. Did, so these guys were willing to take the case and they were willing to do it in a way where they didn't, you know, they they sacrificed a lot. They they worked really hard. They were willing to put their um, their name on the line, yeah. and they did it because they believed it was the right thing to do, and they believed in Elena. Yeah. And so, yes, they should get paid for their work. Yeah, absolutely. Listen, man, there's like <clears throat> there's like two type of lawyers in the city of Chicago, in my humble opinion, uh, when it comes to these things. One are the go along types. And there's a lot to get for going along. Mm-hmm. And that's most lawyers in this town. They're like, hey, man, cut a deal. You know, making money. Then you find, like, for like 10 of those, there's the one lawyer who's willing to take on a daily, who's willing to take on a Rom, who's willing to take on a Michael Joseph Madigan. And those are the lawyers you got to hire in a case like you want to, like a junkyard dog, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and uh, that's just. I mean, that's how I look at it. If I ever got in trouble, I don't want to go go along and get along lawyer. You get what I mean? I want the pit bull type lawyer. Well, I want to say one other thing about that. I think you're right. And I also want to say one other thing about it. When I started working with Elena on this case, and I know that Shelly and Rachel, who are the attorneys, got the same set of warnings. I got all kinds of warnings. I, I was just thinking back about this this morning. The number of comments that I got like, aren't you scared for your business? You're jeopardizing yourself. Do you have a gun? You better watch your back. Like, you should get an alarm system on your apartment. Like, people have created this narrative in their minds that if you stand up to somebody with power, you are going to get assassinated. Like, that's literally the kind of comments I was getting where I was like, and sometimes I was like, I was mostly being like, okay, guys, let's settle down here. This is a lawsuit. It's not a, like a literal gang war. But sometimes that stuff gets in your head yeah. and you've got to, you have to like actively remind yourself like these people are whipping themselves up because they are also trying to justify why they aren't getting involved to help. Um, in truth, I don't know, maybe some bad things have happened to me because I worked on your case. I don't know what they are. Yeah, I don't, I don't think know. that I've suffered negative repercussions. It's possible that I've missed out on some contracts that I never even knew about, but that seems fine. I'm not suffering my business is doing fine i probably wouldn't have wanted those contracts anyway if they're the kind of people who would not want to you know do the right thing so it just makes me realize how much um there's a whole like apparatus around this designed to scare people out of Mm -hmm. get standing up and doing the right thing um and i think that that could be the case for you know some of the legislators who didn't necessarily speak up that could be the case for the law firms who turned you away you know, and you're, I know you lost some friends in the mix. So many friends. Yeah. People I used to talk to daily, every other day, just have never spoken to me again or have even gone as far as blocking me on social media. It's, it, yeah, they're yeah, scared. it's been crazy. They're scared to lose their track that they're on. And they believe that it's like 
some of them believe that it's like actually dangerous, like yeah. physically dangerous. Yeah. Which I, well, I, I'm like, where is this coming from? I don't know where that comes from. I don't from. know where I, that, I, I, I just, that, I find that really, that sucks. I uh, mean, one of the clients, Joanne and I were both working with at the time when my lawsuit uh, was about to happen is uh, Commissioner Bridget Degnan. She was a challenger at the time. And when people started finding out that I was the woman that was going to come forward, I think a, a union leader called Bridget Degnan and said, you know that it's Elena. That's the rumor I'm hearing. And like, how are you going to let her do that? Are you okay with this? Like, how are you like, this is going to impact your campaign. People are going to look at you differently. And Bridget was like, you know, I'm not going to tell Elena what to do. I support her. And, you know, this is something that happened to her. And, um, you know, I, I want her to see it through if that's what she needs for closure. And even, I mean, a year later, Bridget would still tell me, yeah, people come up and ask me all the time how I'm like so close with you and aren't um, like, aren't I afraid to be associated with well, with Elena? By the way, and she was victorious in her campaign. Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, I remember she came on my show and I think Elena was the one who uh, called me. Uh, Bridget was a stand up. She talked about, OK, we talked about the elected officials who didn't do the right thing. Some of them did. And Bridget was is a good commissioner, Dugnan, good example of a, an elected who wasn't afraid to speak up and be supportive and didn't hide or cower. Well, and she hasn't suffered consequences from no. that. She's done, she's, she's doing also, her thing over there. I would argue that your exhibit A, Joanna Klonsky, is someone who has not suffered. Uh, uh, not that I know of. of. Yeah. Right. Uh, Another one is a uh, client my, at the time was uh, state, now State Representative Curtis Tarver, who, you know, I chose to remove myself from his campaign because I was nervous that he mm -hmm. would f face retribution. But... You know, the whole time he said, it's not necessary. I, I want you to be part of it. Well, here's the bizarre thing about it. And I'll address this to you, Joanna. Uh, while this was happening behind the scenes, the, the public statements coming from the Democratic organization, which is was, we honor Elena, we respect Elena, we take seriously her accusations. Mapes gets fired over the uh, the other situation. Louis Lang steps down as state rep when he got called. I forgot that was the other one. I just forgot. Mm -hmm. uh, and so the Democrats are saying all the right things, but behind the scenes, they're like they're trashing. <laughs> Like, you there's know, been a lot of yes. There's been a lot of that, of, and and it's not specific to Elena's case. I think we've seen that over and over again, everywhere in mm -hmm. these cases where uh, there's a hypocrisy abounds, and it's true in the Democratic Party. It's true in the progressive movement. Um, we've seen it in some of our most progressive organizations and institutions in the progressive movement, where there's a public message about standing with the oppressed and lifting up women and making sure that we're always fighting for working people and then we see we find out about some of these things these under sort of unseemly undercurrents and the ways in which they're covered up and so we've just i think those of us for whom that is not palatable have to keep being willing to mm -hmm. say it out loud that's right. the only way it gets addressed and i just popped into my head i haven't had this conversation with you in a while and i have to get your updated thoughts on this along these uh points uh elena you should know this joanna and i we we had what regular appearances on my old radio show. Uh, where was that station again, D? I always forget. Uh, WCPT yeah. 820. They fired me. <laughs> All right, that one, yeah. <laughs> and uh, anyway, I always forget that. That's uh, good to be reminded every now and then. RIP. Yeah, uh, but so we would have these discussions. There's a creep report, and we would uh, at least once a month. Yeah. Uh, and Al Franken was one of our first uh, creeps. And he stepped down after the, the, the pictures showed up of him, uh, Joanna's remembering the pictures. Gross. Uh, and now Al Franken is reversing himself and saying he wishes he hadn't stepped yeah. down. He's trying to rehabilitate himself by digging in instead of trying to rehabilitate himself by saying, here's the ways in which I've wronged you. Here's what I'm doing to make sure I never do it again. Um, I'm so sorry. Uh, let, here are the the works, the good works I'm doing to try to make it right. He's just like, I never did anything wrong. This has all been a hoax. I never should have stepped down from my seat. And <laughs> and that's it. For those just listening, yeah. <laughs> I flipped the world the bird. <laughs> she she found that's her inner Rahm Emanuel. Yeah, that's the wrong way to go about rehabilitating your image, by yeah. the way. 
pro just tip. take accountability. I mean, take responsibility yeah. for what you've done. People respect that so much more than constantly saying, no, I didn't do it. I mean, even when you have evidence, people will still say, oh, I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't do anything wrong. If Al Franken had like put out an op-ed where he was very reflective on like, here's what I went through in my life and here's why, you know, here's why I thought this was okay, but the truth is it wasn't okay and now I'm in I'm seeing a therapist and my family's in therapy and we're working through it together and I want to apologize to the women. And I think a lot of people would have been like, all right. Yeah. And hey, you know what? A lot of people are accepting his current version of uh, rehabilitation also. And a lot of people never wanted, a lot of Democrats never wanted him to step down in yeah. the first place. Well, it gets back That's to the That's a contradiction in our own party and our own values that we have to confront. Well, it gets back to the point I was making uh, with, with in regards to uh, the, the women who, uh, the state reps or state senators, whatever they were, who would not stand with Elena. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, Gloria Steinem, back in 1997 and 8, <clears throat> minimizing Bill Clinton's mm -hmm. uh, behavior yep. because there's a larger fight. And the attitude is we're in a larger fight with the Republican Party uh, regarding everything from the environment to uh, uh, social inequity to uh, reproductive rights to uh, union rights. I mean, it's, the list right. goes on and on. So and under so, the bus with Monica from Gloria Steinem. Yes. The, yeah. Possibly the most famous American feminist of the 20th century. Okay, or one of them. Not the most, but among the among most them, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, to me, it's just like if they're not your values when they're politically inconvenient, then they're never your values, and you should yeah. stop pretending they are. All right, now let's deal with the fact, uh, this is a question I always throw at Joanna Elena, uh, it's only on the Democratic side. Everything's always on the Democratic side, Joanna. It's not just this, it's like... Uh, no, the Republican Party is a cesspool for sexual abuse and sexism, and we all know it. It's yes. just that they don't care. At least we pretend to care, or some of us do. <laughs> yeah. Republicans are okay with this stuff, and it's unacceptable. But you know, I think that I think you'll we've seen Fox News is a great example where a bunch of the women, Gretchen Carlson and others, were willing to be like, actually, this has to stop. Mm -hmm. Where even in conservative world, this stuff has become too much to bear for some yeah. of these women. And I hope that they will keep speaking up. I mean, it, it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be acceptable. I think you see fewer women in those workplaces. Period, which could mean, uh, you know, per capita less sexual harassment. I don't know. I doubt it. I doubt it. Um, I think we know who those guys are and what they're doing. Yeah. I just think you hear about it more. Also, we live in Chicago, so everyone we know are Democrats. Yeah. So we hear about that more. Yeah. You know, it's funny ironically, is that a lot of Republicans have been very supportive of me. But it's not that they care about me. It's just that they hate Mike Madigan. There you go. Yeah, right. uh, Chicago Tribune editorial board. You gotta watch everybody <laughs> with like a, you gotta look at everyone with kind of a side eye. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you no what, if, if somebody who uh, despises Democrats as a Republican came out and called for the impeachment of Donald Trump because how many rape charges against him? I forget. Oh, I don't I, know. Let's, it, let's Google it. Let's look it, it up because it, it varies. Trump, rape. Rape. That's which, a shitty Google search yeah, that I just did. Um, then I would have tremendous respect for that. I have respect, Elena, uh, the, the, Joanne and I, have, uh, I think we have argued this one, but um, what's the, the columnist name in the Sun-Times? She's conservative, but she criti she's critical of Trump. Uh, SL. Oh, SE Cup. Yeah, SE Cup. I respect for her. I don't agree with her on a lot of issues, but I got a lot of respect for her because she. She's she, willing to say it. She says it. Hey. She says uh, Trump is an abomination. By the way, yep. according to the Donald Trump sexual misconduct allegations Wikipedia page, which is a wow. thing that exists. Just let's think about that <laughs> there for a are, Donald Trump has been accused of rape, sexual assault, and sexual harassment, including non consensual kissing and groping or groping by at least 23 women since the 1980s. Yeah. Wow. Think about that. And so the Republicans are silent about that. The Serial Tribune's editorial rapist. board is silent about that. And they'll come to your defense because it's but, embarrassing Michael Joseph Madigan, yeah. but they won't speak up into it as a principled matter. And that's... But Ben, it's not just the Tribune editorial board that's silent. What editorial board is talking about this? Nobody's talking about this. When is the Sun-Times editorial board talking about the rape allegations against Donald Trump? 
I love the Sun-Times. I haven't seen that editorial, have you? No, they uh, definitely not called. I don't think we as a country are talking about this, and that is there's a reason for that, and we need to talk about what that is. What is that reason? I don't think that we care. I don't think that we care yeah. as a culture, as a society, enough about this issue. I think that it's too easy for us to go, oh, he's famous, you know Donald Trump, even Democrats, you know Donald Trump, or just we can't prove it. Some of us have thrown up our hands. We can't prove it. It's her word against theirs. The stuff happened in the 80s and the 90s. What are we going to do? I mean, the man was caught on audio tape talking, bragging about sexually assaulting women yeah. before he was elected, and that did not cause him to not get elected. That's pretty wild. Here we are. It is wild. It's pretty wild. And, of course, and yes, and we have another bite at that apple, I guess, coming up in November. Uh, we're almost done with this interview. And since we have... Uh, we've. I could not allow you to leave this studio, Joanna, without uh, one comment about Harvey Weinstein. I think the first creep show we ever did was yeah. Harvey Weinstein, a disgusting that. human being, if there ever was one. And now I was showing Elena the picture in the New York Times. He's in, he's got this walker. Like I guess he must be going to trial because he's really going yeah, for the sympathy. Right. He's got this picture of this walker. I don't know if you saw it, Harvey with his walker. Yeah, you can't that's walk. a shame. Uh, there's hmm. just announcement of the... the Ridiculous. Uh, I know, it's so <laughs> pathetic. Uh, <laughs> hey, Harvey, this, get the walker. This poor, decrepit old man yeah. can barely even walk. Oh. He shouldn't have to, you know, pay I these bet. people. That he raped. <laughs> Twenty-five million is uh, what I read in this uh, article, uh, and very similar. Uh, you know, you, you, the, the woman can't talk about it. Uh, he's not. Uh, he's right. not taking blame, or uh, he's not acknowledging. Acknowledging. That he did thank it. you. But uh, here's yeah, an important ahead. part of it. Mm -hmm. One, it's it's got. We've got to defer to the just like Elena. We've got to defer to the victim to the survivors who are saying, we want to take the deal. They have their reasons. And so, well, it might, to me, I'm like, ah, oh, don't settle. Like, let's drag this thing out. And I don't want any documents sealed. I want all the depositions out there and all the discovery. Okay, well, that's not my decision to make. These people have been through hell. Mm -hmm. And they are now reaching a, a settlement that works for them, that will allow them to begin to rebuild their lives and move forward. We should all celebrate that. That's one. Two. I could be wrong about this, but I think the criminal charges are still going. This lawsuit, this settlement doesn't change anything about that. Mm -hmm. This man is going to prison for yeah. rape, God willing. Right. So. Fair enough. I never uh, root for people to go to prison. This guy's like, a, how many people has he raped? I don't even know. We'll probably never know. Yeah. And uh, all right. Now uh, you raised something that I'm going to, I have to close with this question. Uh, you said that there are people out there uh, who say, uh, don't settle, keep the trial going. I want depositions. I want all the information out. Switch Harvey Weinstein trial for impeachment of Donald John Trump, and that's me. Uh, so, Joanna, can't let you leave without putting your political strategist hat on. Ask you a question oh, I ask every political strategist that comes in the studio just asked young Peter Cunningham this question a little while ago, and that is this. In your humble opinion, is it good for the Democrats to drag this impeachment out as long as they can, even if it's not even resolved by the time November election? Or do you subscribe uh, to the Nancy Pelosi school that says, get it over as fast as you can so it doesn't potentially damage uh, the Lauren Underwoods of the world who are going to have to run for re-election in right. sort of a purplish district. Joanna Klonsky, go. I tend, uh, on this one, I tend to agree with Nancy. Um, I think that the appearance that it's being dragged out in order to impact the outcome of the election harms the narrative for Democrats, and I don't think that's useful. I, I was actually relieved when they first came out with this plan and said, we're going to try to get it wrapped up by the end of the year. I was like, okay, well, that's good at least. Um, I, I think we kind of know what the facts are, too. This isn't a thing where if we drag it out longer, more information will come out. We know what it is. Everybody's singing on them now. We have, <laughs> there's, a there's, a, there's a recording. You know, I mean, there's a transcript. We all know what it says. And so now we're going to have to decide how we move forward. But I, I think this is the right. I think, this, I think get it over with. Mm -hmm. And we also know that you know, we, we don't control the Senate. So. Yeah, we definitely don't go. Oh, he's got to get acquitted. We all yeah, know that. Yeah, so okay. what are we dragging it out for? 
to embarrass, to humiliate, I think to inflame. Impossible. To He's unembarrassable. Yeah. What does he care? No, the potential is that voters would be embarrassed to vote for him. Okay. He, it, whatever they would react to is out there. It's out there. It's going to be on every ad. It's going to be messaged about consistently throughout the cycle. But it's not going to win us this election unless we're also advancing what we're about. And, and Elena Hampton, this is why Joanna Klonsky is a professional political strategist, as is Peter Cunningham, who was my earlier guest. What did he say? Did he say the he, same thing? He was with you 100%. <laughs> me, See, Peter me the guy with the microphone, drag it out. Really? <laughs> yeah, no, you and Peter were eye to eye on this one. Okay, that's uh, interesting. Yeah, you guys were eye to eye on this one. And uh, someday I'll bring you on the show with Professor David Ferris uh, from Roosevelt University, who uh, wrote a book about uh, how Democrats should fight more like Republicans. And he's the one who advocates this. But we'll save that for another. It would be fun to have you on the show with Ferris anyway. I think that would be a very interesting show. Uh, Joanna Klonsky, uh, thank you so much for coming in. Elena Hampton, thank you so much for coming in. Joanna, it's been way too long. We're going to get you back on the regular cycle. All right. Uh, the creep reports uh, have There's to be. There's no end to the creeps. <laughs> and Elena, you're more than welcome to join the, the, the party as well. This was sort of your debut performance. Yeah. Um, I didn't ask you any political questions, but that's next. All right. Get All right, ready. Next time. Next time. All right. Very good. Thank you so much, Elena. Thank you so much, Joanna. That's the end of another Ben Jarofsky bonus show. Take care, everybody.